All right. So be honest, who's for singing Christmas songs all year round, all through October and January, February, July? Just me. All right. Just me and Elf. All right. <laughs> Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So about 27 years before Jesus was born, uh, Rome experienced something unique in world history uh, that was called the Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome, uh, beginning with the reign of an emperor called Augustine, um, the emperor of Rome, and lasted from 27 uh, BC to about 180 AD, so about 200 years of peace. Rome was at peace. Um, they did have a few internal conflicts, yes, to be sure, but they were rarely at war with any other nation. A couple of conflicts here and there, but no real declared war. So the Pax Romana offered something the world hadn't seen or hadn't known for centuries, and that was a nation at peace from war. However, that peace, that Pax Romana, was only really peaceful if you were Roman. If you weren't Roman, um, you could have peace with Rome, technically, but it was offered often at the end of a sword and enforced at the end of a sword. You did things their way or there was no peace. So even for the Romans, though, even for the Roman people, this Pax Romana uh, was a time of violence and uncertainty, even though they weren't technically at war with anybody. For example, during that period, uh, most of the emperors of Rome at that period in that Pax Romana died by assassination. They were assassinated. One of those emperors, Caligula, who's a little more famous, uh, completely uh, certifiably insane person who um, engaged in various drunken parties and different other ideas and things going on there. There's another emperor named Nero, uh, who most people believe burned Rome, um, blamed Christians and then sent them into the theater, sent them into the Colosseum to be killed. Then there was an emperor named Titus, who was a, a general, who was an infamous um, war general. And he was the commander of the Roman army who actually went into uh, Jerusalem, sieged Jerusalem in 70 AD, demolished the city, killed the, the uh, inhabitants there in Jerusalem. So on one hand, this Pax Romana, this is a time of great national security and safety in Rome. But on the other hand, it was also a time when people were filled with uncertainty and filled with violence. Um, there was peace from war in Rome, to be sure, but there was no real peace in the hearts of the people of Rome, the men and women of Rome. So now, um, we just sang about that midnight clear, when the angels came and told about the Messiah, saying about the Messiah, that the Messiah had come, they were declaring something different. They were declaring a peace um, that Rome could not offer, that the world cannot offer, that cannot give. They said, glory unto the God in the highest, and on earth peace to men, people who favor, who favor God and who God favors. So at the height of the Pax Romana, um, at the height of the Pax Romana, that's when Jesus was born. That's when the angels came to declare that this newborn baby was going to offer a new and different kind of peace. Not just the absence of conflict, but a new kind of peace. A kind of peace better than the world could offer. So if you look up the word peace and look for some images of the, world, of the word peace, you might see some things like this. There's some fun ones here. So that's a symbol of peace, right? Anybody that looks at that is going to say, that's a symbol of peace, right, from the world. What else we got here? Peace, peace out. That's my favorite. A couple more. This one, right? Classic. Who's from the 70s, right? 
But this is real peace. This is the real peace that we have, that God offers us. Right? Jesus, born in a manger, in this out-of-the-way burb called Bethlehem that I'm telling you the truth you never would have heard of before had this scene not happened there, filled with ordinary people, with ordinary concerns, ordinary hopes of the day. Now, outside the village, there were those shepherds, right, about to get the surprise of their life. It starts in Luke 2.8, right? That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, right? I'm going to paraphrase some of this. Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, said, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news. It will bring great joy to all people. And he kept telling them more. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, city of David. Recognize him by this sign. You'll find the baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, verse 13, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying... Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So again, if you're a Roman or in the Roman world, and these guys were, you thought you had peace. But now the angel comes and says that this peace of the Lord is coming. Glory to God and then peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So no, no ordinary night anymore. And frankly, these are no ordinary shepherds. You can take that verse down, Braden. These are no ordinary shepherds. Um, see, in the temple every day, right, every morning and every evening there was a lamb sacrifice, and these lambs had to be perfect, unblemished, perfect lambs. That steady supply of lambs came from these, these shepherds around, these flocks around Bethlehem. And these shepherds were in charge of the most important flocks of the world, in the world. And so I'd like to focus for a moment this morning on what the angel said to the shepherds and put it in context that the shepherds understood, put it in context of that moment in history. Again, Luke 2.14 says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. Breathe that in for a moment. Right? Into the chaos of this of our world, but in the chaos of that Pax Romana, even, the peace of Rome, which really wasn't much Pax unless you were Roman, right? So now, what exactly is peace, right? There's a peace candle today. What exactly is peace? In the Greek, it's the word irene. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is one I've shared with you before, and maybe the only Hebrew word you know. The word for peace in Hebrew is shalom, right? The noun form of shalom has many uh, different nuances, but it can be basically grouped into four categories. The word shalom can be grouped into four different categories. I've got them here for you if you're taking notes. Number one, wholeness of life and body. We got these, Braden? Wholeness of life and body. Excellent. Number two, a right relationship between people or parties. Sometimes we call that a covenant, and we've been talking about that, and I'm going to key on that this morning. It can also mean prosperity, success, fulfillment. And number four, the way we usually think about the word peace 
is victory over enemies or the absence of war or the absence of conflict. The Pax Romana was called that because it was the absence of conflict. Now about that reading from Luke. So now we might be reading um, this in the New Testament. Luke is clearly in the New Testament, but really, stay with me now, it's Old Testament times. It's Old Testament people, Old Testament thinking and Old Testament ideas that we're talking about here. Right? Jesus hasn't even been born yet. So we're still in Old Testament time. With that in mind, I want to look back at the word peace from an Old Testament perspective. I want to look at, at shalom more than I want to look at irene, but they are kind of um, interchangeable. But shalom. And again, peace can mean the absence of war, the Pax Romana, a wholeness, completeness, prosperity, fulfillment, completeness, Many other synonyms just like that. But since we've just recently come out of uh, two separate sermon series, one on identity and one on kingdom, I've kind of been setting you up for this whole Advent series. So I want to talk about this word Hebrew, I want, or the Hebrew word shalom. Uh, I want to talk about it from the angle of relationship and covenant, which is what we've been talking about for months now. Relationship and covenant. God's promises and our response to those promises. Because when we hear the word covenant in the Bible, we should hear the word in our heads, we should hear the word promise. When we hear the word covenant, we should think at least the word promise. God's covenant promises, it's almost redundant. God doesn't hide this promise, this covenant that I'm going to talk about. He doesn't hide this under a veil or behind a curtain. He puts it out there, right out there for us to see in plain sight. If we'll just take that gem of Scripture and just turn it around in our hands and let it reflect a couple of times and shine some different light on us. So then what is this promise that God lays out there for us to grasp? I submit to you this morning, it is the covenant of peace. So I'd like you this morning with me to take a peek at some of your new favorite verses. Get your pens ready. I'm going to blow your mind this morning because God blew my mind. Starting in Numbers 25. We're going to do this um, in order of our Bible, which is different than the Hebrew Bible, coincidentally. But we're going to do it in this order of our Bible Numbers 25.10, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, uh, Phinehas, the son of Elzar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them. So I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Then look at verse 12 here. Therefore, say, behold, I give him my what? Covenant of peace. Did you know that God gives us a covenant of peace? And it shall be for him and his descendants after him, a covenant of perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. So that's the first one. Verse 12 is the covenant of peace. Right? That's the first place we see it. Let me look at Isaiah 54, 10. Good. For the mountains may be moved and the hills may shake. I'm sorry, mountains may be removed. In other words, things are, of this earth are going to be destroyed. Right? Mountains are going to be laid low. Hills are going to shake. But my loving kindness will not be removed from you in my what? 
covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Covenant of peace. And also look at Ezekiel 34, uh, verses 25 and 26. And this is, this is God making a covenant promise about a covenant promise. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. This is God making a covenant promise about a covenant promise. Anytime you see the, the God saying the words, I will, that's a covenant promise. So he's making a covenant promise, which means an ironclad promise that's going to happen. In God's mind, it already has happened. I will make a what? Covenant of peace with them. Eliminate the harmful beasts of the land so they were not in the wilderness. But I will make a covenant with, of peace with them. He goes on in 26, I will make them the places around my hill a blessing. I will cause showers to come down on their seasons. There will be showers of blessing. There's several more just like this. Several more verses exactly like that to talk about God promising us this covenant of peace. So God gives us a covenant of peace, right? Not just wholeness of life, right relationship with God, that, that covenant promise, right? Prosperity, victory, absence of conflict, things like that. The Pax Romana, if you will. So now if you were in my youth group, and I see some of you here, I would be looking for that $64,000 question that Emerson actually brought up on Thanksgiving Eve. Shout out to Emerson, by the way, for uh, giving us an excellent message on Thanksgiving Eve. Well done, sir. But he asked the question, the $64,000 question. So God gives us a covenant of peace. The question we should be asking is, so what? Right? I say to you, God gives us a covenant of peace. You should say, and... What you know, so what, what, what does that mean? Because frankly, um, those words spoken to the shepherds that night meant something. It meant something great, but there's no way, listen, there's no way these guys knew. This is Old Testament, those shepherds. There's no way those guys knew that that baby would grow up to become the Jesus that we know from the New Testament. They had an idea about it, Savior of the world, okay, I get that, right? Well, we already have peace, what else are we looking for here, Right? And don't get me wrong, if an angel says God is bringing peace to those he loves, then say yes, right? I don't need to see the rest of the contract. I don't need to see the rest of the covenant. I will be there. I'm, I'm signed me up for that. So shalom, the desired state of harmony and communion between two covenant partners, right? Let's say that again. Shalom, the desired state of harmony Communion, that's textbook, by the way. I'm reading it right off of this. Shalom was a desired state of harmony and communion between two covenant partners. The presence of shalom with our covenant with God, the presence of shalom um, indicates um, God's blessing that he said earlier. You know, I will, he said. But the absence of that shalom is on us, signifying the breakdown that came when Israel or when we turn away from God and look for other things in the world to fulfill that emptiness in us, to look for that peace in somewhere around in the world that's going to be fleeting. And we'll stop as soon as we get that, ab ab that absence of conflict. But you're probably thinking right now, I don't feel peace because I have these difficulties going on in my life. 
it might not actually be armed combat, but there's a lot of conflict going on in my life right now. And I don't feel that peace that you're talking about. I don't feel that shalom that you're talking about. So we think of peace, and we stop. We're so short-minded. We think of peace as an absence of something. We think of peace as an absence of something. Whether it's conflict, maybe it's absence of illness, or absence of simply difficulty in our lives. Then we will have peace, right? Peace of mind. Only if everything else is lined up the way we want it to, and there's nothing in our lives that we don't want there, right? It didn't work with the Pax Romana, as I told you a moment ago. They said, well, I had an absence of conflict, that's peace. Well, yeah, but there's a lot of stuff going on here, right? So we can never really get to that state of tranquility. So then the question we should be asking then is, what is the significance of that covenant of peace? What is the significance of this covenant of peace that God promises us time and time and time and time and time again? And we've probably read through that how many times, and it's just right over the top of our heads. God's like, it's laying right here in plain sight. What's the covenant of peace? And I like to ask some people, you know, why are you telling me this? You know, what, what significance does this have here? Well, for starters, to now have peace means um, there was, um, even though there was hostility, even though there was conflict, to have peace means that there is some hostility, there is some conflict. That main hostility um, that we're going to talk about this morning is between us and God, or was between us and God, or between God and his people. That conflict, that hostility, right? Even though we were covenant partners, Jew and Gentile alike, didn't matter. But Jesus came to be that Prince of Peace that we read about in Isaiah a moment ago. He came to become that prince of peace and to make peace. Where's that peace? Is it the absence of conflict? Not so much. Right? He came to make peace between us and God. Between God and you. To remove that hostility, to remove those things. So first we need to understand um, that we are all in the same boat. Right? Jesus helped us understand that we are all in the same boat. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want to look at Ephesians. I want to look at Ephesians 2. It says this. For Christ himself is what? Is our peace. It doesn't say that he, he brought peace. It doesn't say he made peace. Well, it says that he is our peace. The same way it says that God is love, Right? He is our peace. Not just the bringer of peace, not just the maker of peace, not just the defender of peace. No, he is our peace. We've made two groups. That's us and Gentiles, or Jews and Gentiles. Two groups, one, destroyed the barrier, right? The, the barrier that we had between us, the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15 how did he do that? By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making shalom. One more. 16. And in one body, after he made us one, made us realize that we are in the same boat together, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all need saving, Reconciled them both to God through the cross, 
by which he put to death their hostility. The NLT says, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by the means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. All saved in the same way, right? Through our faith and our belief in Jesus Christ and the things that he did for us. Basically, like I said last week, believing that Jesus is who he says he is. The eternal God, Emmanuel, God with us, come to save his people from his sins, from their sins. To make peace between God and his people. To make peace between God and his people. This is all over the place. I'm going to pick a couple. Romans 5.1, for example. Think about Ephesians 2, though. Saved by grace through faith. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to bridge that gap between us and God, to save us from our sins. How did he do that? Look at Colossians 1.20. And through God to reconcile, I'm sorry, through Christ to reconcile himself God, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Christ's blood shed on the cross. I know we don't talk about that kind of stuff at Christmas time, right? Doesn't that sound like more like Easter stuff? But if we don't understand the end, we don't understand the beginning. When Isaiah says we have the Prince of Peace, what does that mean? It's not the absence of conflict. It's the reconcile. It's the making up the difference between us and God. God created you to be in relationship with him, right? Stop me if you've heard this before. God created you to be in a relationship with him, and our sin separates us from God. Christ's blood forgives that sin and brings us back together, makes peace again with us, between us and God. Remember that those shepherds were thinking peace in maybe a different way. But we have to think that wholeness of life, that wholeness of body, that right relationship between covenant people, that shalom, that right relationship between people, parties in a covenant. We talked about covenant for six weeks, kingdom and covenant. It can mean prosperity, success, fulfillment, yes, and it can mean victory over your enemies. It can be the absence of conflict. But Jesus came to be peace because he is peace between God and his people, and God's people. And we read it from Colossians earlier that reminds us that the peace of Christ should rule in our hearts. The peace of Christ should drive our decisions. The peace of Christ should dictate how we interact with others, especially when we disagree with them. And remember, it's because of that that covenant of peace that God promised his people, right? That's the reason Jesus came here to this earth, to fulfill that covenant of peace that you might have heard about for the first time this morning. So where does that take us from here? Advent is that season of growing closer to God. It's the beginning of the church year. 
Did you make any Advent resolutions this year, right? Any New Year's resolutions, any Advent resolutions to grow closer to Christ? How are we going to do that? To grow stronger in our relationship with God. That's why Jesus is here. That's why we celebrate this, because it's the blood of Christ that brings us closer to God and makes peace. I'm going to invite you to stand as I give you a benediction in the middle of everything that comes straight from Hebrews 13. I hope you can still see the screen. Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21 says this. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant that we read about five times in the Old Testament, the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, May he equip you with everything for good, doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, as we continue to worship, would you please um, confess with me what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe.